working out really helps to carry something like that, doesn't it? Is that good? All right, why don't you join me in prayer for Connor here, please. Lord, thank you for the privilege of having Connor Berry here. Mm. Father, he's been a friend uh, for ours uh, for a lot of years. Mm. He loves you and serves you and has a great heritage, Lord. Mm. So as he gives your word, I, I pray you give us open hearts, mm. open minds, and uh, allow your word to change us mm. as we hear you through your scriptures. Mm. Please, in Jesus' name, mm. amen. Amen. Thank you, Gunther. Thank you so much. It's so good to be with you guys this morning on a bright and sunny day uh, here in San Luis Obispo. Um, like Gunther said, uh, my name is Connor. I'm one of the pastors at Calvary Chapel Santa Maria. And um, I, I, I was so blessed to get a call from your pastor, Pastor Brian, and said if I was interested in having the privilege, and it is a privilege to, to speak to you on a Sunday morning, um, you know, uh, I love the fact that you guys are in First Peter, especially in this season, over this course of this past year, into from 2020 into 2021. Um, what an encouraging word of hope, of a living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so, if you would turn with me to First Peter, First Peter chapter one, verses 14 and 16 is going to be our emphasis, our meditation this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And if you would do me the honor, I like to do this at my church. Um, if you would do me the honor, if you're, you're able, would you stand with me as we honor God's word, as we read the scripture and we pray, and then, and then you may be seated. I, thank you for doing that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16 this morning. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come to you in full understanding and acknowledgement that we have empty hands concerning our holiness. You must fill our empty hands with your grace. We're so thankful, Lord God, that every time we come to you, you bring us as the gifts from heaven, all of your goodness, all of your joy. We simply need to ask. And so this morning, this Sunday morning, as we come together as one family under Jesus, we proclaim and ask you, Lord, would you do as you have always done? Would you be faithful to us in your word? Holy Spirit, would you now anoint us, not only for me to speak, for, but for the congregation to listen. And we may be edified and exhorted to joy, to live in even these dark days with a happiness, with the goodness of Christ in us and through us for your glory and for our joy. In the great name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you guys so much for letting me do that for you. Um, in studying 1 Peter, you know, we discover that the Apostle Peter, in some church traditions, called the Apostle Peter the Apostle of Hope. The Apostle of Hope. And, and hope sometimes is that term, that word, that is so natural in our Christian language, yet 
so mysterious in ways if we were asked to define it according to how we see Christ and how we see ourselves in relation to him and in relation to each other. I love what the Lexham Bible Dictionary calls hope. Hope is this. Hope is the belief that the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in present and in future. Can I repeat that? Hope is the belief, and this is a question if we believe this or not. Hope is the belief that the faithful, meaning you and me, will will experience, it's guaranteed, the fullness of God's goodness both in present and in future. So that is Peter's that is Peter's clarion call to you and to me in this letter to the, to the many different churches that is represented in the introduction in chapter 1. He's called this apostle of hope. And, and these churches are represented in this persecution that they're experiencing in this Roman Empire world that we, even being Californians today here in 2020 and 2021, can think about and realize not only the comfort that we share in living in a nation full of liberty, but also to know that we're part of a universal world church that experiences persecution on a daily basis. What does the scripture say about hope for them? And what does the scripture say about hope for us? Now, at my church, we are in a series looking through the minor prophet Amos. Anybody read Amos recently or have read Amos before? Amos, this prophet, he was this prophet of judgment. He was a prophet of judgment over the people of Israel and Judah. The nation of Israel was divided at that time. And he was a prophet of judgment proclaiming God's judgment is coming against you because you are becoming just like the pagan nations that are surrounding you. And that series that we are preaching at our church has been pretty heavy. And what's so kind of interesting for me to be here with you this morning, if we were to do a character study of the church in our nation today, whether you want to call it the evangelical church or not, if we were to do this kind of character study of the church in our nation today, we seem to be sorely lacking both types of people. We need, in this nation, prophets of truth, and we need apostles of hope, just like Peter. Those are both sorely lacking. We need these prophets of truth, that those men and women who stand in the gap between society and turmoil, who are like like uh, Pastor Gunther here to proclaim, hey, this is what's going on in our nation concerning racism. We are calling it out and say God abhors racism. And God judges those who bring about the activity of racism in our nation. We need prophets of truth just like that. But we also need, friends, apostles of hope. Those men and women who are willing to stand in the gap, just as the prophets do, in society and turmoil, and listen to what the prophets say about what God says, and then they respond and say, this is what God offers to those who seek him. 
a future and a hope that will stand the test of time and will stand the test of every single circumstance you will go through in your eternal life. I am thankful that that this same Holy Spirit that has led us to preach Amos at my church has also led to have you guys preach First Peter. It is such a beautiful connection, and it's this privilege of receiving a taste for me, at least a taste of both. It's a gift. And so, as you have been looking through the study of First Peter, I think what you guys have been discovering, even in the first chapter, is how essential, how essential this hope for us is today. How essential is it for us to live with a perspective that is hopeful rather than one that is full of dismay, that is full of questions. I don't know about you, but I have personally said these words, and maybe you can say an amen to this if you've said this in the last year of 2020 into 2021. What has the world come to? Has anyone, I mean, can I get an amen? Thank you. If you're like me, you have asked that question. You have had that conversation. What has the world come to? And I love what one, one, uh, uh, Charles Colson has said about this. It's like, when we say, what has the world come to? We need to also say at the same time, everyone, look who has come into the world. Jesus Christ has stepped into this world full of turmoil, full of chaos, and has been the perfect atoning sacrifice for your salvation and my salvation. And now I am able to live even in this difficult, dark, sin-stained world and say, we are the light of the world. We are like a city set upon a hill to proclaim a gospel of grace and love and peace that this world simply does not understand outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what it says in 1 Peter as he begins in his introduction. Would you look at that with me? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, where he gives this kind of benediction at the beginning of his introduction. He says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. Now, reader, reader of the scriptures, Believer in Jesus Christ, do you realize what's being said in these two verses? I hope you do. Uh, it, it's, it has right here in these two verses, it presents your past, your present, and your future. It presents how God encompasses every single part of your life and presents a living hope to you. Notice the past. He says, by his great mercy has caused you to be born again. Amen? He also speaks of your present. Now that you have been born again, you have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope that does not die. 
in the midst of circumstances, but is forever living. And you have a future which is an inheritance that is imperishable. What could be better than that? Honestly, in spite of everything that you have gone through, I, I understand that I'm looking at souls in this congregation that has a diversity of sufferings and difficulties. I'm well aware of that. I do not presume to know the situations that you deal with internally and externally in the places that you live in, the places that you work in, and the communities that you hang out in. I don't presume to know that. But what I do know, and I don't have to presume it, is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that is living and is active. And if it is living and it is active, then you have a peace that passes your circumstances. It transcends the diversities of your sufferings. It does not unauthenticate them. They are all real. They are all true. But there's something truer. There's something more authentic than the circumstances that you are in. That is the living hope. And you have presented to yourself a knowledge that your future is guaranteed to be bright. Guaranteed to be an inheritance in a kingdom of God for all eternity. What could be better than that? I ask you. My reality, your reality, has never gone without the redemptive orchestration of God if we're talking about your past, your present, and his future. And let me present to you a truth that you may not realize in the midst of this difficulty of 2020 and 2021. Here's the truth. God's plan is working out perfectly. It's working out perfectly. I mean, doesn't, doesn't that kind of dissuade you for a moment to look at what all we have gone through in this past year and still be able to say, based on the truth of Scripture, based on the unction of the Holy Spirit in my life, I must submit to the truth that God's plan is working out perfectly. Why? Because He's a perfect and faithful God. These truths must be a discouragement killer. These truths must change our perspective and our worldview, how we are looking at things, what Christ has done for you, what Christ is doing in you presently, and what Christ is going to do for you cannot compare to the difficulties that we are facing right now. First Peter chapter one, verse three and four says that this hope is living. How is it living? It's not this hope that the world sees in some abstract form. This hope is, in fact, living and active because it is an embodied truth. This hope, in a sense, in a word, has put on flesh and dwelt among us. He is Jesus Christ. We're not following a philosophy. We're following a person. My hope, therefore, if it's living, and I believe it, is no longer abstract. It's no longer flippant. It's no longer rudimentary. In fact, it kind of gets more mysterious, right? <laughs> and it's no longer simply categorized in the philosophical. My hope is, in fact, active and living, and it gives me a future that I'm excited about. 
But now we are looking in verse 14 through 16 and realizing, okay, what do we do now with this living hope that has been given to us? How do we cultivate this living hope that has been bred in us and through us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? We both look at the present and say, why, if we have access and participation in something so wonderful, something so powerful, then why are we still affected by the sufferings, the difficulties, and the sorrows of this world? I want us to think about that for a moment. If this hope is living, and it's, it's, it's powerful, and, and it resides in me and through me, through this work of Jesus Christ, shouldn't I transcend above all of these sufferings? Shouldn't I transcend above all of these difficulties? Well, no. And we know the reason why. Jesus didn't transcend above all of these difficulties and all of these sufferings. He stood in the midst of all of them. He walked through them alongside people who were going through them. He suffered them himself and he remained perfect. The, the true embodiment of that living hope. So how do we live in this way? I mean, listen, the audience of Peter's letter here, they, they understood this in a visceral way. I mean, they, they, think about it for a second, okay? If, if you place the timeline to Peter writing this letter to these churches in the beginning of the verses, do you realize that what he is teaching them about this person Jesus the distance of time is only like 25 years in the midst of them facing persecution and difficulty and the literal event of Jesus dying, resurrecting, and ascending into heaven. I mean, we live 2,000 years apart from that in, in distance. These friends, they lived 25 years. They had an apostle riding to them. And they have this beautiful gospel that has changed them and made them into new creations. And these churches are being planted all over the known Roman world. And it's this wonderful understanding. But the true thought about this is now we're facing a persecution. Now we're facing this, this persecution that we've never encountered before simply because we believe in something beautiful. Well, let's look at verses 14 and 16 together to see what is our response to these difficulties as we presently live? What do we do? Do we just quit? Do we go back to the old worldly view, ways of living in sin? Do we escape to the wilderness? Do we take up a sword and fight? What do we do? Peter's answer is this. You be holy. Be holy. Verse 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In the society that we live in today, holiness is a seemingly archaic pursuit. Who wants to follow holiness today? When our philosophies, when our truths are all relative to our own individual selves, who wants to follow a standard of purity that is set above anyone's ability to reach or attain it? 
We need to look at the definition of what this means concerning the scripture's demand of what holiness is. Holiness in a definition is twofold. It is this transcendent purity of blamelessness, but it's also this setting apart for God's service. You see this in the Old Testament. You have people that were set apart, like the priests, the tabernacle, that you would keep the Sabbath. Because why? Because it's holy. You're setting these things apart for God's service. And so we ask the question, in this living hope, how are we set apart? And how? How really is the church today holy in the midst of all this difficulty? Notice what Peter calls us here as readers. He says, listen, you are obedient children. As obedient children, this is how you live. I love the fact that he gives you an identity before he gives you a demand. He gives you this identity of being this obedient child. The mark or revealer of God's holiness in us is that we have exchanged this relationship of being enemies to God first But now through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I've exchanged this identity of being his enemy and I take on the position of God's loved and obedient child. I have four kids. I have my oldest is my daughter, Faye. She's 11. And then I have three boys, Flint, Dane, and Otis. They are respectively eight, six, and two. And the older I see my boys get, the more they start looking like me, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. They start looking like me as they mature. Why? Because they come from me. They come from their father. My daughter, Faye, is looking as she's growing more and more like my wife. And it's becoming this realization that as we mature, we start looking like more like the father. And so in this, we have this call. Obedient children, come and be like your father. Don't conform to the passions of this world. And what is the defining characteristic of God the Father? His holiness. He dwells in unapproachable light. This kind of transaction of God's righteousness for you being an enemy in your sin to now being a child of God has been done. The work of Jesus on the cross has finalized your destiny. You are now a citizen of his kingdom and a child in his family. The old has passed away. The new creation is here. Amen. Then why do we keep falling to the passions of our former ignorance? It's because we have this turmoil inside of us where the Christian life through the work of the Holy Spirit is never meant to be passive, but is always meant to be active. And here's the activity, verse 15. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I love that. He has called you and he is telling you be holy. In the Greek, the literal translation to this is he calls you By your own name. He calls me by my own name because he knows me. He knows everything about me. Friends, he knows every disqualifying act of my holiness. 
Every disqualifying stain that I bring to the table of God, he knows it, he understands it, and he still calls me. Come with me, Connor, and be holy. Come with me and follow in my example. To kind of put it into maybe Trinitarian language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Father God who dwells in unapproachable light, whose radiance is the very standard and origin of holiness, is my Father and your Father. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He's never left you to your own devices in our pursuit of holiness. He doesn't say, here's the standard, start jumping. He says, I give you all that you need in your past, in your present, and your future to walk in holiness. Then there's the Son who has secured your salvation through his death and resurrection. The righteousness that he is, you have, through the work of his blood. Finally, the Holy Spirit. You ever think about that? There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit has that adjective of description. He is holy. Because the primary activity of the Holy Spirit is to direct you and to lead you into holiness. I love the fact that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father right now and he mediates. He makes intercession for you and for me. You know what that means? Jesus is the greatest cheerleader for your holiness and for my holiness. He does not condemn us, but he leads us through the work of the Holy Spirit to be sanctified for his glory and for our goodness. This living hope that you have, friends, cannot be taken away from you. But you are called to live in an active Christian life of presenting that living hope to others and living in a way of your conduct that represents the Father in all of his unapproachable holiness. Last word of application in our conclusion here. I just want to read you a story that is representative of what holiness looks like. Jesus, he he enters Jericho. And he's passing through. He's not even staying. He's just passing through Jericho. And the scriptures say this. And behold, there was this man. His name was Zacchaeus. He was this chief tax collector. And he was extremely rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the count of the crowd, he could not see him because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he's about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine? So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Zacchaeus has done nothing yet to encourage the attention and the joy of Jesus. But Jesus has done everything in intention to come to him. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus gets all joyful. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and they said, he's gone in to be this guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I, I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save 
the lost. What is the application to holiness that is full of living hope in this narrative? And it's this. Holiness is not just the denial of the bad, but it is the active pursuit of the good. There are a lot of liars. I mean, I'm going to be bold for a second. There are a lot of liars in this congregation. There's a liar in this pulpit. But how do I stop? How do I remove the identity of being a liar? I don't simply just say, I'm not going to lie anymore. That's a neutral place. That's a passive state in the work of holiness. What is the active state of removing the identity of being a liar that is a pursuit of holiness? I'm not just going to stop lying. I'm going to start speaking the truth. I'm going to look towards justice and not towards ignorance. There are those who are thrown into anger. Holiness is not just being about not being angry anymore, but it's the active pursuit of humility and grace. Why? Because Christ has changed me. There are those consumed by lust and physical desires of the flesh. It's not just simply the rejection of those temptations that I'm not going to be looking at anymore or engaging in. It is the pursuit of the knowledge that every single soul has been created in the image of God and therefore has value and deserves affirmation and the gospel. Friends, we need to be known for what we are for, not just what we are against. And this pursuit of holiness is I'm no longer following these former ignorant passions. Do we want that this morning? I want that. I want my living hope to have application. I want it to to actually breed in me and, and flow out of me so people know that I'm a lover of Jesus and that I am his child. And it begins with this today. If you would pray with me this morning, if this is what you desire in your heart, that you might represent what holiness looks like, Not just as some kind of transcendent standard that no one can get to, but in fact a living in the midst of suffering hope that leads towards goodness and the fulfillment of a future that is bright. Would you pray with me this morning? I'm praying this for me as well together, okay? Lord, would your church here truly know truly know the fullness of God's goodness and that his goodness would spur us onto holiness. When Christ looks at us, he does not look at us with condemnation, but he leads us to repentance through his goodness and through his kindness. And I pray for anyone this morning that is dealing with a particular, clear and specific suffering, that your grace And your goodness and your peace would fall upon them. That the demand of holiness would be one out of your love and affection. Lord, you are righteous. But Lord, we know that the throne you stand on that was once a throne of judgment has now been given to us as a throne of grace. And we can come boldly before it this morning. So we love you, Lord. We're thankful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
We're going to take a time of communion.